Alright, here we are. Episode 2. I'm already, like, this is how sick I am. I'm already getting depressed because it's already episode 2. I'm like, oh no, only 8 episodes left. But I know it's probably some other people because it's like, I'm always torn. I love the anticipation, the build-up, and the delivery. But then I was like, man, I could go for 10 straight hours of Game of Thrones. But then it'll be over faster. And then, you know, it, is, it's, it feels like it's, like, I don't know, I'm forlorn already. But this is a great episode. Home. As the talking heads sing. Starts out with branches, roots. Is it a crow? Is it a raven? It's a raven. Was well, it three-eyed raven? I remember saying that, oh, so raven. Uh, but it's really Tree Man. Uh, that's what I called it in my notes. Tree Man plus Bran. That kind of rhymes too. Also sounds like a cereal bark you can make. Tree Man plus, plus Bran. You could, the 80s was bigger on Bran-based things. But yeah, get yourself a box of Tree Man plus Bran. Uh, the, uh, favorite cereal. You could have Barky, Tree Beard, and Groot on the cover. Probably be tough getting all that. It'd be a big payment, you know, there's a lot of, so maybe not, but maybe they're promoting it. I wonder, that's a good question. Who who gets paid when there's a, like the Transformers are on a cereal box, does the movie corporation pay for that or does the cereal box license that? I I might have to look into that because Treebeard plus Brand, I don't know what I call it, uh, Tree Man plus Brand. And then we see there's some kids in Bran and the Raven, the Shriad Raven, which, holy mackerel, what a wonderful, wonderful casting choice. We'll get into it at some point, probably in the facts, but holy cow. And so the Bran and the Raven are watching, and it's his dad and Uncle Benjen, and the mutton, guy with the mutton chops, whose name, uh, is this Sir Alistair? I don't think it is. It's... Uh, I don't know. It, it will, I'll remember when we get back to Reek who it was, I think. Oh, yeah, because he's a kid, and then I have an arrow, man. I assume that's what that means. Also happy, so were you. Uh, is what a Bran and a Raven say to each other. And then Leanna Stark rolls in on a horse, and everyone, she's, she's like, stop showing off. And again, top of the episode, another tiny little wonderful moment. Last week we had uh, the Onion Knight touching, sweeping the snow off the uh, banister, which my buddy Harold uh, also noticed. So thanks, Harold. Shout out. Uh, Make sure to check out Harold's uh, podcast. This is a paw print, and uh, I'll I'll try to put it in the show notes. But Harold liked that. And I don't know if you liked this this week, but I loved it because Leanna comes in on the horse and then the three-eyed raven goes to turn to say something to Bran and Bran's gone. Bran vanishes. But, you know, the, the man is a wiser man, I guess, standing next to him. It's just a nice little thing. He turns and Bran's not there. He's like, what? What the heck? I mean, I put, this was how important it was to me. Star, Bran vanishes as Raven turns to talk, double star. And then uh, Leanna says something. Bran thinks that she's talking to him, but they're talking to Willis. And then, you know, I know it's probably got said a lot on other podcasts, but Jesus, this kid really grew up on us, huh? 
and he looks ready to take on, you know, the, the lucky Bannister of House Stark. Uh, should be great. But actually, he's one of the, you know, he's leading the children, maybe. Who knows? I don't, I don't know any spoilers, honestly, about him or the children. Uh, but it's Willis, who, who is Hordor. I can't, Hordor, Hodor, Hodor, Hordor, Hodor. Uh, then the Ravens are back at Bran's side as they're watching. They're talking to Willis, and Nan comes. She says, no, no, he's a stable boy. Time to go. Oh, she makes him go. Then the Raven says to Bran, time to go. You know, also something in here where you say, well, geez, what, you know, what happened, you know, a little mystery about Hordor and, Hordor and Willis in Scooter's pronunciations. But again, the Raven says, it's time to go, Bran. And Bran says, just a little longer. And then he touches Bran's shoulders and then they're back in the north. And Bran's like, you know, uh, he says, you know, I finally got something cool that I wanted to see, and you dragged me back. And he says, the three-eyed raven, and his, you want to talk about sweet, dulcet tones, or creaky dulcet. He says, it's beautiful beneath the sea, but if you stay too long, you'll drown. And he says, I wasn't, and then, okay, we get into the themes of the episode. He says, I wasn't, I was home. And I think the way this episode was structured how is uh, it just just there's these tiny thread theme threads running through it? I, I don't know. I could talk forever about this episode. Let's see. So then, uh, oh, I noticed the children are a bit of like the cats from the musical Cats. So I don't know if that I didn't. I thought the budgets were fine on Game of Thrones. No, I mean they're better than that. But I, that's what I thought of. I said, I always wanted to see the musical Cats. Uh, then, you know, Bran says, hey, Hodor, your name was Willis. I knew I knew you once. And he says, Hodor, you know, he does the communication. Kind of like when I talk to Stannis and he just says, Lord Gamenda. Hey, maybe that's where Stannis picked it up because I can't, you know, I can only do Lord Gamenda. But then Mirren's outside and I think Mira, Mirren. I noticed there's a metal door when Bran went outside. So I said, well, metal door. Uh, let's see, I did, what do you call that thing? A parenthesis, metal door, close parenthesis. Bran's like so happy to share with her because he's like, I discovered all this stuff, you know, my family. And she's like, do you know there's other things going on in this world? While you're making your, you know, vision quests, you know, we got a lot of stuff going and I'm just sitting around doing nothing. And then Brian says, well, thanks for killing, but thanks for the buzzkill. I actually wasn't out here for advice. I was out here to be, you know, seen and heard, you know, because I had some joy in my heart. So he, she, he goes back and she stays outside the cat girl, the children girl. She says to Mira, or Mira she says, you know, he's not going to, he's, there's other things going for him. So he's going to need your help. And she says, really? I mean, she didn't, I don't think she answered. She just stared. They think it has something about, oh, yeah, she, let's see. Yeah, change page change there. She looks out across the great expanse. Sunset rise, exclamation point. I think I meant for that. Uh, oh, sunset slash rise. Like, is it the sunset or rise? But I put exclamation point. I think I should have put a question mark. And then we have this uh, uh, Castle Black, is Alistair Davos showdown. You know, with a little bit more comedy. 
No worries. Alva said, thank you uh, the last time. He said, thanks, Sir Alistair. We'll, me and the boys will talk it out. We're going to chop it up in here. You know, come come on back and check in. And, you know, Alistair's still like, hey, just let us in. We're just going to talk. And then uh, Davos, you know, they're in there. And he says, uh, he says, you know, I've never been much of a fighter. So apologies for what you're about to see. And everybody's uh, yelling. Let me see. I lost my spot. Never been much of a fighter. Oh, big hammer on the door. Potato kids there, right up front. This kid really turned into be a, turned out to be a jerk, unless he's a double or triple agent. Uh, so they're trying to bang down the door where a uh, ghost and Onion Knight and uh, the boys are in. Then there's a giant at the door of Castle Black. And Tormund and the others roll in, or whatever, the uh, free folk, free folk. That's what we, I don't know what is, I mean, what would they like to be called? And then everyone gives up Ned. Oh, Ned, that's the guy that got, brought him there. Dolores Ned or whatever. He, he's there with Alistair. There's some action. Potato Kid gets arrested. Sir Alistair gets arrested or whatever you want to call it. You know, there's a lot of accusations flying. Then Tormund goes in to visit Ned, uh, Jon Snow, and Ned goes in. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, like, a touching or near-touching, studying. Oh, touching and looking over the both episodes. Uh, Davos is holding Jon Snow's sword. Then we cut to a scene in King's Landing where there's a, ha- a proverbial, not even proverbial, the happy hour hero, as they're called, uh, talking about Circe and, you know, talking like a jerk. And, the, you know, then they, that guy, he gets whatever that guy's name is, Tom Thumb or whoever, says, hey, no one, you know, don't insult Circe, please. Tom Strong, I don't know what his name is. Blue-faced man. Then we have Cersei. She's pulling a string off her dress. Really, another really nice, uh, like, a, a scene. And then the blue man comes in, and she throws the string away. And then she says, come on, blue man, let's go do some stuff. And then the Kingsguard's like, you're not going anywhere. We're keeping you in the Red Keep. King's orders. And Cersei's like, I don't understand. And then where's my son? I'll talk to him. And they're like, oh, he's not here, your grace. My grace, whatever. Then we have Tommen and Jamie in the uh, Sept, the Sept of Baylor. See, I didn't even write that down. I just knew that. Boom. Dropping barely now. I couldn't tell you the names of the seven gods. I could take a few guesses, but... uh. Uh, Jamie and Tom are in there, and Tom's like, "Oh, she, almost, you know, he's talking about his sister." And interesting, and uh, Tom's trying to be like a little bit of a leader, but he's also got some passive anger towards his mother. Jamie kind of turns that against him. This is one that would set me like this. Sets he says, "Oh, are you?" He's passive aggressive, but Jamie meets that with, "Oh, are you?" Like a leading question with a shame undertone. Oh, are you angry with mother? And, and Thomas says, no, of course not. Like, which is yes. And he says, well, then, and then again, leading question, shame undertones. Oh, then why didn't you let her come? 
She has every right to be here. And then Thomas says, well, they said they wouldn't let her in here. And then they talk about back and forth. And Jamie's like, why haven't you gone and seen your mother? He goes, dude, do you know what my, he goes, you know who my mother is? And Jamie goes, who do I? He goes, oh, do I? And then he, like, birds flutter around his head. That part didn't happen. I think, actually, he says the lines from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He says, everything she do, she do for you. And Thomas says, don't you think, look at my face, Jamie. You see this face? This is a face burdened by shame. You think I need any more shame on me? Goes my. And Jamie says, "Well, I I only know how to manipulate." So, and Tommen still feels bad. You know, he still feels like he's not the protector of the realm. And then the sparrow shows up, and Jamie says, "You know, go beg your mother for forgiveness." And then Jamie, or then Thomas says, well, can I see my wife to the sparrow? And he says, when, when she's confessed, you know, you know, the king must wait as well. The gods wait for Queen Marjorie. And then uh, he sends Simon off, Jamie, and he says, you're a bold man to the sparrow. And then he says, on the contrary, I fear a great deal. And he says, the father, only the father, the mother, and the warrior got his love, though. And then they talk about the stones on people's eyes, which is weird because Tristane was painting one of those. And they say, those remind us to not fear. You know, we close our eyes in one world, we open them in the next world. And Jamie says, well, you must be longing for the next world. And then Sparrow says, no, I'm afraid of that too. And then they kind of argue back and forth some parochial stuff or whatever you call it. I don't know. And Jamie says, uh, "What about me? You know, I'm totally like, you know, goes, I'm, you know, I don't, I haven't, I haven't taken care of any of the kings I've been with." Jamie doesn't actually, you know, admit all his uh, wrongdoing. And then the sparrow says, "Well, what are you going to do about it?" And Jamie says, "What do you think I'm going to do about it? You know, look good. It's what I do best." And, you know, also, you know, I act. To, you know, I have this great. I mean, he's really good at acting tough. I mean, the acting is good because Jamie, the character, is acting, you know, like tough when we all know he's got this level of uh, disturbance below the surface or more than one disturbance, actually. And then the Sparrow says, we're all weak, vain creatures. We live by the mother's mercy. And he says, well, you know, just, you know, we're working on revelation here, revolution. We're all poor. You're rich. Uh, but all the poor together could overthrow an empire. And I'm really interested to see where this whole plot goes, you know, because the sparrow's really hard to figure out. And this religion is hard to figure out. Like, is it a, what do you call that? Uh, it doesn't feel like that uh, theology uh, liberation theology, but it feels like it's cloaked in that language, but it's really more about shame, so I don't know. Uh, then Tommen goes to see Mother, and, well, first Cersei's out looking across the city uh, to the Sept. I think she has Macella's pendant or her pendant in her hand. Tommen rolls in, a lot of good body language here. She's aloof and cold. She has a little whiny poo. Then he's talking to her, but her back's turned, and uh, 
while Tom and to Tom and while Tom is talking, and she's looking off. They're also dressed in like similar colors, which was good. And Tom and so you know he's under the control of these two, so he feels down. And similar to last season, she says, he says, you raised me to be strong and I wasn't, but I want to be. Help me. And she says, always. And then she, you know, they have a good embrace. Then we see a giant gold harpy on the ground. And we have Tyrion, we have the uh, Council Four, Tyrion Varys, Grey Worm, and my sweet, sweet dear. But uh, Tyrion uh, is back on the wine. Varys literally does a tisk tisk tisk. It was so good. And then they kind of they go back and forth about uh, some stuff. And then Tyrion says, "Well, the fleet's burned. We don't know who did it. Surely there's some good news lurking somewhere." And then Varys says, "No more bad news. You know, lots of overthrowing of the Khaleesi's work." And dragons aren't eating, so that's not good. And then Tyrion says, well, we got to take care of these dragons. And they say, well, what are you going to do? And he goes, well, dragons don't do well in captivity. They say, well, how do you know this? He goes, that's what I do. I drink and I know things. He goes, Aegon's dragons, they flew, you know, over hundreds of miles over Westeros. He goes, once people started locking them down, they shrank and shrank until they didn't exist anymore. And he goes, so sweet, sweet, sweet Miss Sunday. Uh, Miss Sunday, that's what I'd like to call her. Um, how many times have you been with these dragons and they didn't do anything to you? They're smart, more smart than humans, according to any Dragonlance novels I've read and according to Tyrion. And he goes, they like their friends and, you know, have fury for their enemies. And he goes, I'm their friend. And he goes, it's time they had their supper. And there's also lots of cool fire lighting in this scene, which are for lamps, braziers, tons of stuff. And we see two torches, and it's Tyrion and Varys. And Tyrion goes down into the vault where the dragons are. Very D&D cover, uh, cover manual material. And he talks to the dragons, they're drooling. They're kind of like, uh, he kind of soothes them, uh, sets them free from their chains. And he has the good lines. He says, you know, I'm friends with your mother. I'm here to help. Don't eat the help. Because when I was a kid, I asked my uncle, or my uncle asked what I wanted for my birthday. And he goes, I just want a dragon, not even a big one. He goes, I'll take one little like me. He goes, everyone laughed at me. And my father said, there's no more dragons. And he says, I cried myself to sleep that night. But here you are. And then he, then he sets the dragons free, but it's kind of terrifying, obviously. And he says, hey, Varys, don't let me do that again. Then we have Arya versus the anonymous woman with the arms that did move at all last season. But Arya shows she doesn't quit. And then our buddy Akin's back, Jaqen. He says, who are you? She says, I don't know. And he tries tempting her. She says, I'm no one. And she passes. So he says, come with me. And then she goes, he says, a girl is not a beggar anymore. Uh, then we have Roos. He's taking a report from Lord Karstark and how uh, Sansa and uh, Rick get away. 
Then we have Ramsey's plan versus Papa's plan and how to deal with all this stuff. And even Karstark gives us a little foreshadowing. He says, time for new blood in the north. Dun, dun, dun. And then Roos tries to check Ramsey. He says, you know, you're, if you act like a maniac, people are going to treat you like a maniac, you maniac. And Ramsey says, dude, you got no idea. He goes, uh, he goes, Dad, I'm a total loon. I'm not partially a wound. He goes, Dad, have you ever looked in my eyes before? And Roos looks into his eyes, and then that was it. I rude Roos Bolton. Can't rue Ramsey, though. Way past ruin Ramsey. Uh, because Ramsey, Roos looks into Ramsey's eyes, and that's all it takes. And actually, oh, at some point, they go, oh, yeah, by the way, Roos, you got a baby boy. Ramsey did a, an Android glitch face. It was so sweet, if you can rewind it. I didn't write down the time. But Ramsey, he does like a, as if he was an Android on the ship. Right before... You know, four seconds before he does the glitch face, and then that's when he overrides his programming. Also, there was a, it was a really nice set. Uh, there, you know, Roos's desk had a lot of nice papers. He just did a great job. Maester's chain was also very nice. Nice enough for me to write down Maester's chain and remember how nice it was. It was good. That's a good Maester, too. And we have Ramsey does a little cover-up action. Then we're outside. We see light snowfall, flurry, little snow flurries. Lady Walder, she doesn't like Ramsey. She's smart. She has an upside-down Bolton Man uh, chest piece or whatever you'd call it. I guess in the, you know, Boltons, it's a right side up to me, you know. And then Ramsey goes all Darth Vader. He goes, I am Lord Bolton now. Like, just like you, like a, all Darth Vader-y. I'd put all Darth Vader to V-A-R-D, not even E-D. But, you know, most people would put Darth Vader-y or Darth Vader-esque, Darth Vader. But it's vader He 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 said, I am Lord Bolton or something. I don't have the exact quote. Just a quote I wrote down. And then there's these beautiful reverby strings. Well, see, there's a good foreshadowing. I knew to put Darth Vader so that I could use reverby. Because if I used Darth vader then I would have to set reverbed strings. That, uh, that makes much less sense. I did put reverbery strings music, though. That might be a double uh, positive or whatever. And then Ramsey says, I prefer being an only child. I mean, that kid, he, he's right in the, if you look up a terrible only child in the, in any book, I guarantee it, go ahead, do it, look it up. He's there. And uh, then we have Brienne and Sansa. They were talking about seeing someone. I, I watched it twice because I couldn't pick up on who they were talking about, her mom or someone else. Uh, who? I, I put seeing someone, question mark, who, double question mark. Oh, you know what? I just figured out. It was Arya. That's who it was when she saw Arya with the hound. I just rewatched it. That's why I was say <laughs> paused it. But uh, she, she was talking about Arya. She wasn't exactly dressed like a lady. She was with a man or something. Can't, I don't want to pause it again. But then Sansa, uh, that, that took me three times to figure that out. 
Then saying they talk about difficult choices, going to Castle Black. Where's Reek gonna go? Uh, Reek just can't make possibly ever make amends. He thinks for, for his family. Him and Sansa. This is what I put, and it's true. Him and Sansa have a lovely goodbye, and they did. It was really heartfelt and nice, and really some great acting. And Reek's going home. So there we have this theme of the episode a little bit of like not just home, um, but also this uh, this power dynamic between children and parents and inner. I mean, I guess that's every episode of every scene and every moment of every episode. Scoots. Yeah, I don't know. We we have it with Bran, and then we had it with him going back into. And we have it with Sansa. We have it with Reek. We have it with Ramsey. Even in some sense with Tyrion and the dragons, maybe. Uh, but Reek goes home, and then we see they put, what a home. <laughs> yeah, what a dump. Uh, the the freaking Iron Isles, or whatever the hell it is. Swamp Town, you know. Hey, do you love living someplace cold, someplace cold, windy, wet, and full of uh, seaweed? Uh, but what a home, I put and then Glover's taken. Oh, yeah, I think Glover's something was taken. Uh, Reek's sister. Oh, the Glover's take deep with mine. Maybe I should read the whole sentence before I start talking. And, uh, you know, the father and the daughter have a moment there of a power struggle. That dad's a jerk. Luckily, we don't, then he goes out on this rickety bridge in the rain. He's like 68 years old. He shouldn't be... It's like, where the hell you got to go? Just stay in, you know, is there one of these stupid islands more cozy than the next? Like, why would you go out on a rickety bridge? I mean, I guess he's stubborn. And then his brother's out there. They tried to figure out the casting of his brother. Really, really good. This mysterious man on the bridge. And he doesn't have anything nice to say to his brother. He says, hey, what is, what is, uh... You know, what is sleeping may never sleep? And he says that the other guy doesn't answer. He says, in the custom change, you're supposed to say that back to me. And he goes, you mock the gods without my help. He goes, I don't mock the drowned god. I am the drowned god. From old town to Karth, when men see my sails, they pray. And he goes, your time's up. because." And he goes, plus you're rude on top of all that. So that was cool. I mean, I, I loved that part. Yeah, then we see when we have a giant lobster trap coffin and a funeral at sea with floaties. And they said, well, they really want to be on the Wouldn't they want to be under the sea? I guess eventually they'll get out there. It'll probably have some auto sink or something, you know, once it gets out into the, the ocean. Because otherwise it's like, keep me the hell away from the seagulls, you know. If I become a whatever ironborn... I guess I would be an Iron Reborn. I've been reborn under the cold-ass water of the Iron Isles. What is sleep? You may never sleep. Well, no, I'd like to sleep, actually. Actually, I don't want anything to do with the Iron Isles. But if somehow I end up there, you know, please don't, please don't leave me on the surface. I don't want seagulls bothering me for eternity. Prefer crabs or something. Oh, it's a salt throne. 
Oh, and then there's a moment again, another power dynamic with the daughter and the priest saying, you know, maybe you'll be the first woman to rule us or maybe not. Then we have the red woman staring at the fire, really nice. Uh, she's like sulking, but she's not really looking at anything. And then we have a comedic moment. It's a very subtle comedy, but very funny if, if you're like me and you love that kind of stuff. Let's see if I can get to at least, I can't do the imitation, but he, Onion Knight, Sir Davos knocks on the door. And it's also full meaning, even though it's funny. He says, hey, sorry, I interrupt. She goes, you interrupt nothing. And this is where it's funny, really. He says, I assume you know why I'm here. And she says, I will after you tell me. It's like, oh, my God. I mean, that is really hilarious. And it was meant to be hilarious. Like, oh, that's, I assume you know why I'm here. And she says, I will after you tell me. I guess that's kind of like telling people at comic strips. This week's Calvin and Hobbes. On the far side, there's two uh, giant fly people, and they're at a drive-in. And then that kid is drinking a soda. Anyway, uh, he says, hey, it's about the Lord Commander. She says, the former Lord Commander? He goes, well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. He goes, you got any, can you cook up any magic, you know, you know, take care of them for us? And she goes, forget about it. And this is actually was really helpful for me to wrap my mind around what was happening because then I said, oh, uh, Thoros Amir and uh, who's the other guy? It'll come to me. Oh, Beric Dondarrion. I love saying Beric Dondarrion. I love Thoros Amir, the character. And then I love saying Beric Dondarrion. I should be, you know, but I'm not, I'm not, I, I can't be in a merry band of thieves because I'm not merry. Uh, but yeah, you see, oh wait, I forgot about the Dondarrion's, uh, you know, he came back seven or eight times like a cat. And then there's other, uh, so there's a precedent for what's about to happen. I didn't even have to look at a spoiler site either. I figured, I was like, oh yeah. Why can't Thor, if Soros Amir can do it, he's a total drunk. And then in some sense, the creepy maesters doing it with the blue face, Tom Thumb or whatever, Tom Strong. But yeah, she says, well, I knew this one priest who did it, but he's not anywhere near here and it's not possible. And uh, Sir Davos says, but it was possible, so it still could be. She goes, not for me. He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, you, you, you've got a lot of good qualities you've used for bad things. And she goes, everything I thought I saw and did was a lie. She's down. And this is like a re rebirth for her in some sense, maybe, or at least a two-episode rebirth. And it's all via Davos' uh, truth-telling, or I guess a, a string of truth-telling, she says, and this must have been hard for her. She says, you know, all of those lie. You were right all along to Davos. I mean, geez, you know, I, I, I could say that to him, but a lot of people wouldn't, you know. And she says, you know, the Lord never spoke to me. And Davos says, you know what? F the Lord. F everybody. He goes, and then another comedy. He goes, I'm not a devout man, obviously. He goes, seven gods, drowned gods, tree gods. It's all the same. I'm not asking the Lord of Life for help. I'm asking the woman who showed me miracles exist. 
And she says, well, I never had that um, thing. He goes, well, have you tried? And then we have this good scene with her. She's washing, let's see, broken heath froth. There's some. Her faith, oh, her faith was broken. She even says you're right. Uh, then we have the tracks of her, like, she has tear tracks on her face, tracks of her tears, I put. I'm not asking. Then she washes Jon Snow. She's very slow and deliberate. It's a nice, powerful scene. She's back in this thick uh, red dress. Uh, gown. Oh, I put gown. I even put gown. Thick red gown. I couldn't figure out what you called a... Oh, embroidery. Embroidery. That's what you call it. Or quilting or something. And she cuts Jon Snow's hair. Uh, then she cuts his beard. Then she prays in Valerian. Jon Snow was very blue silver. Almost like he put on too much... Or just the right amount of sunscreen that you actually need. And then went swimming in a cold lake. That's what I would look like. Great music here. Very, very mood setting. And she lays hands on Jon Snow. And this scene is really a slow, slow thing. And they use both our expectations and the character's expectations kind of, I mean, for us, but in an against us way. It's a build tension, you know, because we don't know what to expect. The characters don't know what to expect, and then they're just teasing it out. And again, maybe it's just me noticing it this season, but they're changing the focus. So they have the focus on the Onion Knight, and then they go, the, the, no one moves, but the focus changes to Torment in the same uh, shot, and then back to the Onion Knight. And then she even, she's, she's praying and stuff. She says, ah, please. And then she looks like she fails. And then Tormund bails out of there. And then she's, she says, well, I failed. She bails out of there. Then Ned bails out of there. And then Onion Knight's like, nah, that's not how I roll. And he looks at John. He studies him. His hands are behind his back. And then he walks off, he closes the damaged door, and the little ghost is sleeping on the floor for a while. Still, they're using the, they're teasing it out, teasing it out. And again, I was disoriented, so I didn't know what time. First time I was watching, I didn't know how much time was left in the episode. This is back-to-back episodes that it worked that way. Uh, just another sign of, like, total disbelief, you know, totally drawn in by the power of all the combined elements of storytelling but he closes the door, Ghost sleeps, then suddenly Ghost gets up. And, you know, John, says, John takes a couple breaths, apparently, or gasps, I guess. And that was the end of the episode. Pretty sweet, pretty sweet. All right, so what are we going to talk about tonight? We're going to talk about a Talking Heads song, This Must Be the Place. We're, we're gonna, I know we've talked about this before. I don't remember what season. We're going to talk about oil lamps just for a minute. Uh, we're going to talk, or I'm going to try to learn, actually, a little bit about Dungeons & Dragons cover art and the artists behind that. And then we'll go get into Tracks of My Tears, and if we have time, we'll, we'll dive all the way into Smokey Robinson. So let's get to it. Not even going to pause it here.
so this is a toy, this is a little poetry I'll drop on you. You may have heard it in the era of Gordon Gecko or the era before that, or you say, Jesus, this must be song one of those old people. Listen, I say, yep, I guess so. Home is where I want to be. Pick me up and turn me around. I feel numb, born with a weak heart. I guess I must be having fun. I guess I'm a little Shatner-esque on this delivery, huh? Uh, the less we say about it, the better. Make it up as we go along. Feet on the ground, head in the sky. It's okay, I know nothing's wrong. Nothing. I've got plenty of time. you got light in your eyes and you're standing here beside me. I love the passing of time. Never for money, always for love. Come up and say good night, say good night. Home is where I want to be, but I guess I'm already there. I come home. She lifted up her wings. I guess this must be the place. I can't tell one from the other. I find you or you find me. There was a time before we were born. If someone asks, this is where I'll be, where I'll be, we drift in and out. Sing into my mouth. Out of all those kinds of people, you've got a face with a view. I'm just an animal looking for a home and share the same space for a minute or two. And you love me till my heart stops. Love me till I'm dead. Eyes that light up. Eyes look through you. Cover up the blank spots. Hit me on the head. And that's written by uh, Byrne. Uh, Weymouth, Harrison, and Franz, uh, talking heads. And there's this, uh, really good article, uh, from 2012, June 14th, uh, by, uh, James Verini, uh, called, the article titled, Talking Heads Song That Explains the Talking Heads. And the article is about, uh, Jonathan Latham's new book, Jonathan Lethem's new book. And the article is about Jonathan Lethem's new book, Fear of Music, which was a study of the talking heads, according to the article, but the album of the same name. Who He he also had written an essay on it, and they said, at, 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 at the peak in the 80 or 81, the identification was so complete that I might have wished to hear the album Fear of Music in place of my head so as to be more clearly seen by those around me. Uh, but then he kind of changes his tune. He says, like everything I've ever said about the talking heads or almost any other thing I've loved with such dreadful longing. Beautiful prose. There's only a few. This looks to me completely inadequate, even in the extremeness of its claims, especially for the extremeness of its claims. Uh, Lethem likes this romantic art, dreadful longing, regretful revision that follows. And he thought the talking heads were the perfect subject and mirror, uh, especially in uh, primordial downtown Manhattan. Uh, that was uh, Verini's word there, beautiful. The band sonified not just longing and regret, but also dread. And then, this is quoting from the article, this is what made them really special, mingled the feelings in single songs, sounds, and even couplets, while never letting listeners forget they knew what they were doing. 
And it talks a little bit about the song Life During Wartime. But we move on here. For younger listeners and for older ones who never shared Lethem's infatuation, Talking Heads live principally in one track, the sad, sweet love song in quotes. Uh, This must be the place, Naive Melody. When was the last time you heard Burning Down the House as their biggest single? Probably not recently. They they say, uh, the article says that you've probably heard This Must Be the Place more recently, whether you knew it or not. Yeah, 30 years old, four years ago, so 33, 30, whatever, how many, you know, it, it's embedded itself in the American songbook paraphrasing. If you go to a bar anywhere, you'll probably hear it. It's been covered at least four years ago all over the map by everybody. Brides march down the aisle to is quoted in editorials. And last year it was made into a movie. And all this is improbable, uh, the article says. Uh, it's a love song only in spite of itself. Uh, perhaps it, it, it's a good article because you should read yourself, but maybe because it was the most uncharacteristic thing the band had recorded to that point. Uh, between 77 and 83, great, Talking Heads posted one of the great learning curves in rock history. Five albums, each one an elaboration on the one before it. And again, it talks about the history of the formulation of Talking Heads and their time at CBGB's in the Mud Club. And how they record their influences of Motown, punk, African music, funk, and minimalism. All way kind of goofing around a little bit in a fun way. And similarly, they talk about David Burns' lyrics as a quoting article, blank verse switchboard, patching through data language, experiments, images, poetry, scientific literature. One critic characterized his singing style as passing on information. And then there's a lot more, a nice deep dig into the band. Uh, But by the time 82 rolled around, uh, their first album had kind of been a hit. The first one sold a million copies, had a top 10 hit, Burning Down the House. But there is more, it was their most accessible album, thanks in part to This Must Be the Place. Uh, quoting the article again, in which the rubble is removed from the well of wistfulness and stuff in the stuff rushes forth. Uh, the parenthetical title, Naive Melody, comes from the fact that the bandmates would switch instruments when they composed it. And it was one of their sparser arrangements. Uh, Simple guitar core progression, four bar bass, a lot of stuff I don't I don't understand. But yeah, at first blush, the lyrics uh, seem comparably simple. Burns sings them rather than declaiming, as he often did. Uh, the most uh, direct love lyrics I've ever written, and Chris Franz added. In a lot of songs, David's lyrics didn't have any personal significance. They were just from things he'd read or heard. But in this case, it sounded as if he really meant it. Uh, and indeed, This Must Be the Place can be taken as an ode to the palliative effects of companionship. And if you read through the lyrics again, uh, it, it digs into this. Uh, just bouncing around here, you, you should read the article again. I'll link to it in the show notes. 
Uh, this must be the place. It's not a statement of certainty, is it? It is. It's not. This is the place. It's more. This is what someone said the place was. It's even a little desperate. I don't know what I'll do if this isn't the place. The music, too, starts as a kind of question mark. Very unconventionally for a pop song, the lyrics don't come in for a full minute, uh, during which time the floating bass line doesn't play on the roots of the guitar chords, but on the fifths, leading to the melody, what the keyboardist Jerry Harrison calls the uneasiness. The whole time we're wondering if that propulsive sound that carried the record up to this point will return. It doesn't, but Burn and Ri- Burn arrives instead. So yeah, check out this article uh, and check out the song. You know, if you haven't checked it out, uh, really quick there was those cool oil lamps when we were uh, with the Council of Four or whatever you want to call it with Grey Worm, Asande, uh, Varus, and Tyrion. So I went over to History of Lamps History of Oil Lamps. Uh, it talks about how, you know, after the human humans got, got fire and started to use as a light source, a need appeared for smaller, controllable flames, a more sophisticated solution. And the first such solution were oil lamps in 70,000 B.C. Early humans used shells, rocks, or any non-flammable material as a container, and then it could put some moss-soaked animal fat, which would burn as a flame. As the industry developed, so did the materials in which the lamps were made and the fuel. Uh, first oil lamps of man-made materials were found in Egypt, uh, Greece, and Rome, and were probably considered the most the first mass-produced objects in history. And they were made from terracotta, bronze, stone, and alabaster in the shape of a dish that would hold oil in a place for a wick that would prolong burning. It put prevented, of course, the oil from burning, except for the wick. And various interior, they're easier to carry and safer than torches. They were reusable. They left rest less residue than candles. You could use olive oil, sesame oil, fish oil, whale oil, and beeswax. And then from the open dish design, it changed into a closed design with a spout for a wick. And from production on a pottery wheel to production in a mold, which gave better quality and then enabled it to be more decorative. Uh, design uh, stayed that way till the 18th century when a Swiss chemist invented and patented the Argand lamp. That's Amy Argand, A I M E. And his lamp consisted of a container for the oil, as is all the other lamps but it had a cylindrical wick to give larger surface for a larger flame and a glass tube chimney around the flame to direct a draft and make a stronger front flame, make this lamp safer for carrying. Uh, reign of the oil lamp lasted until the middle of the 19th century when the kerosene lamp showed up on the scene, but in some places it endured into the 20th century particularly places with not a lot of electricity. Today it's used as ambient lighter in religious ceremonies. Uh, use of the oil lamp was always multifold, besides its use in the home for, and for work. Even as the main light in lighthouses found its use in rituals from many religions from the beginning of written history. 
Ancient Egyptians used them in temples, homes, and public places, and uh, during ceremonies. They used it to illuminate statues of the gods, as did the Greeks. The Romans lit the oil lamps before prayer for Vesta, the goddess of home. In Judaism, the oil lamp symbolizes the lighting of the way for the righteous and wise and all the positive values. In Christianity, it symbolizes eternal life in God. Uh, and it's used when a church is consecrated. In Islam, oil lamp is uh, used as a parable for the, for God. Hinduism and Chinese religions also use oil lamp in their rituals and as methods of illumination and symbols. So that's just a little bit about oil lamps. All right, so uh, I want to talk about D&D cover art. Dungeons & Dragons manuals have this beautiful art, and it's changed as time has gone on. But I actually found myself more drawn to the art uh, a lot of times than playing the game, in that I could just look at the covers of these things, or most of the time I didn't own them. I was at somebody else's house, so I would just uh, fastidiously study the covers and how cool they were. Uh, so I give some love out. I uh, probably have to do some more hardcore digging here at some point, but uh, there's a nice uh, collection of covers over at chainplays.com uh, throughout history, and it looks like it's pretty up-to-date, so I'll link to that um, if people want to just look at the covers. But then over at dungeonsmasters.com, it's with an S, uh, there's this article by Derek Myers, uh, The Art of D&D, from 2009, November 6, 2009. And it talks about the artist, because that's really what I wanted to know. And I'll be reading from this uh, uh, and paraphrasing from Derek Myers' article here. Uh, do you recognize these names? Coldwell, Elmore, Easley, Fields, and Parkinson. If not, you'll recognize their work because they're the most prolific artists for D&D during the 80s and 90s. They did most of the manuals, source books, adventures, novels, and magazines of the 80s and 90s uh, that these five artists did. In each edition, this school had a different type of art that was unique to that version of the game. Did not know that. Art of the original D&D had a lot of line drawings, and then there were two, it was two-dimensional and simple. With AD and the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, the art was taken to a whole new level. It took on a re realism that until then, was wow, this is groundbreaking, was uncharacteristic in uh, role-playing games. Artists working to illustrate AD and D understood that just because dragons don't really exist doesn't mean they can't be depicted as if they do. And kind of what triggered my curiosity was just that, like when Tyrion goes down into the vault and he's got that uh, burning thing, what are those called, a torch, and then the dragon kind of appears. It's just lit, it's just so beautiful and realistic, you know. Uh, this realistic approach is applied to everything, heroes, classes, weapons, creatures, friends, uh... They wanted weapons and armor to be authentic and accurate. And with these works gracing the covers, uh, it made you want to buy the book, too. Now, here's the bad news. The artistic giants of AD&D, unfortunately, were kind of left behind when the game came out as uh, 
third edition D&D, and they changed the artistic direction. He speculates maybe money was a factor, maybe internal politics. He doesn't know the details, and he won't bore you with them. But he feels like, uh, and I'm not familiar with third edition, so, but they pay less attention to the art and more attention to the rules. But in the heyday, Caldwell, Elmore, Easley, Fields, and Parkinson were some of the best. So let's read a little bit about him. Now, first we have Clyde Caldwell, who a lot of old school gamers will remember from the covers of Gazetteer. And he did a lot of work for Forgotten Realm, including the cover for Azure Bonds. Uh, but for this guy, he really loved the Ravenloft uh, covers. Now, here's my guy, Larry Elmore. If you're a fan of Dragonlance, which that's what I read all the books, uh, then you're a fan of Larry Elmore, which I am. He did the early covers for all the novels. In fact, it, well, me and this guy, the Dungeon Master uh, uh, writer Derek, and I share a lot. He says, uh, oh, he didn't get into it. He said this was his introduction to his work. Even though he didn't get into the books, he loved the cover art. I love the books and the cover art. Elmore's attention to detail was unmatched by his peers. Uh, yeah, that's one thing I remember. And this, uh, Derek says, when he created new characters, he would look at the pictures to get inspired. In addition to Dragonlance, Elmore will be remembered as some of the older paintings for the original Red D&D box set, uh, of which there's one picture that kind of I was thinking of with a dragon. Uh, then we have Fred Fields. Uh, of the five giants, Fields is the one uh, that Derek likes the least. It's still great, don't get me wrong. But he just didn't care for it. His favorite was the scriver for Red Wizards. Uh, and we have Keith Parkinson, uh, who, who, who passed in 2005 too, too early. Uh, but he did the covers for the Bloodstone modules, which were favorites of Derek's, and Lone Watch, and a cover for Dragon Magazine. Lone Watch, which is a cover for Dragon Magazine 137 which uh, featured a dragon sitting on top of a, like a lizard, or a, a ranger sitting on top of a dragon kind in the snowy plain. And then we have Jeff Easley. Now, no one painted dragons like Easley. Many tried, but he was the master. Uh, TSR knew that when your game was called Dungeons and Dragons, you better get a freaking dragon artist. Am I right or am I right? Uh, who paints the dragons to best represent your product. Easley's work was everywhere. When the AD&D source hardcover books came out in the early 80s, Easley painted the new ones for every book, including the PH Player Handbook, DMG Dungeon Master Guide, and and the Friendly Manual. He also painted covers for most of the second edition, too. Uh, you couldn't pick up a rule book without seeing one of his paintings, and he was probably the most prolific of these five artists. And he said, Jesus, it's kind of tough to pick, but there's a lot of cool dragons ones. And this guy, he says, I can't even guess how many, how much art is out there. And then he links to all of the artists' official websites and some galleries of their work. So I'll put it in the show notes. And it's also some really inter- other interesting stuff, so, so it's worth digging into. So there's some beautiful dungeons and dragons arts.
Okay, so then we're talking about uh, one another one of my favorite songs, another great song that has a great part in a movie, uh, the movie Platoon. Uh, but a song that pretty much, if they said, Scooter, do you have a theme song? I would say, well, it's either Tracks of My Tears or Tears of a Clown. And I say, since I get those songs mixed up anyway, you could just call it tra- Scooter's theme song, tra- Tracks of the Tears of a Clown. Uh, but I love this song. It's so expressive to me. Almost as expressive as Tears of a Clown. Probably, maybe more so. Uh, the Tracks of My Tears, which according to Wikipedia is a song written by Smokey Robinson, Pete Moore, and Marv Tarplin. Uh, it was a multi-award winning 1965 hit R&B song, originally recorded by the Miracles on the Motown's uh, Tamala label. Uh, that was 65. Linda Ronstadt did a hit cover of it in 75. It's been covered by many artists over the years. In the five-LP publication, The Motown Story by Motown Records, Robinson explained the origins of the songs in these words. Uh, Tracks of My Tears was started by Marv, who is a young cat and who plays guitar for our act. So he had this musical thing, the melody. You know, we worked around with it and worked around, and it became Tracks of My Tears. The guitar licks in the song are one of the most famous in pop music history. And the Tracks of My Tears hit number two on the Billboard R&B chart. It reached uh, number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100. It was released late in the UK in 69, but became a top 10 hit that summer, reaching number nine, which was credited to the now Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. It's considered one of the finest recordings of the Miracles and sold over one million records within two years, making it the Miracles' fourth million-selling record. And the Miracles can be seen uh, performing tracks of my tears on the 2006 Motown DVD, The Miracles' Definitive Performances. Uh, ranked number 50 on Rolling Stone's 500 song, Greatest Songs is a 2007 inductee in the Grammy Hall of Fame, preserved uh, by the Library of Congress as culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. Uh, also won an award of merit from uh, ASCAP. You know, it's ranked high by the RIAA and the NEA in, in Songs of the Century, Songs of Shape Right, just a huge, huge song. Also covered in 75 by Linda Ronstadt, a big hit. Aretha Franklin sang it in Soul, on Soul 69. Uh, Go West, I guess, did it in 2093. And what better way to finish out this this part of the episode, I guess, but uh, with a little bit of this. Uh, People say I'm the life of the party because they tell a joke or two. Although I might be laughing loud and hearty, deep inside I'm blue. So take a good look in my face. You'll see my smile looks out of place. If you look closer, it's easy to trace the tracks of my tears. And this comes from the actual tear tracks on the face of uh, the red woman. And they said, I see the tracks of her tears. And of course goes, I need you, need you. In this case, Jon Snow, since you left me, 
if you see me with another girl, seem like I'm having fun. Although she may be cute, she's just a substitute, because maybe you're the permanent one. So take a good look at my face. You'll see my smile looks out of place. If you look closer, it's easy to trace the tracks of my tears. I need you. I need you. Outside I'm masquerading. Inside my hope is fading. Just a clown, oh yeah. Since you put me down, my smile is my makeup. I wear since my breakup with you. So take a good look at my face. You'll see my smile looks out of place. If you look closer, it's easy to trace the tracks of my tears. Thank you, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Or just the Miracles, excuse me. All right, the mic's on. Okay, did you do you have an adventure this week? Yeah, I do. Remember I said when I say the mic's on, well, you said the mic is hot. Well, I thought that would sound cooler. Do you have an adventure for Sabouts and me, for K-Bounce Radio? Uh, oh, do I, Tom? And uh, do, do I? Are you ready? Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. You you do. You do have a, Oh, Sabouts, he does have an adventure. Hey, man. Yes, it is. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to K-Pounce Radio, radio of friendship, of bravery, of cats and boys everywhere, but mostly the tale of our heroes. Uh, Sir Tommen, the boy who was a four, see, bad man, I can, I can remember, the boy who was a four, and his best friend, the greatest friend in the history of friendship and the bravest cat in the history of brave cats, braver than all the cats put together, and bet more friendly than all the friends Tommen does not need, as uh, a pounce. Uh, so we, we now bring you your regularly scheduled program. Okay, Padman, you, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another afternoon at Cape Pounce Theater of the journey of Sir Tommen and Pounce's journey into self-discovery. Our heroes are deep within the world and world of mystery. Will they be lost? What, what, what foes await them? What could possibly happen? We join our heroes once again. They've made it past a crazed wizard of, of uh, Enneagrams. And now they climb a mountain pass. And I pass it over to our narrator. Oh, who's the narrator, Budman? It's, it's me, just... Our, our heroes, ladies and gentlemen, Sir Pounce and Sir Tommen are climbing a giant mountain. For Sir Tommen has heard from the village deep, deep below that at the top of this mountain live two sisters, two sisters standing at a bubbling cauldron. And as Sir Tommen and Sir Pounce go, they dodge boulders. Oh, boulders, Sir Pounce. Race man. Yes, Sir Pounce, good moving. We ask, oh, this is fun, Podman, a second. And they dodge lightning. Oh, Sir Pounce, 
Lightning! But no thunder. No, please, no thunder. Uh, silent lightning surrounds. And no rain. Surrounds does not like rain. And, and, but still, they proceed up the mountain, our two heroes. For they know the only way to get to self-discovery is deep within the cauldron. For the second key, the key that opens the, the, the real stone doors, not a proverbial stone key like last time. Oh, good, good. I hate proverbial keys. What is, what's a proverbial? A, a true key made of pure gold that they will defend. And then Sotaman dodges the last slime balls that they throw at him. Oh, I used to make slime balls, you know. I, I tried to throw them at Lancel and Brother. Oh, Brother, Brother. Uh, yes, uh, okay, this is the... Oh, oh yes, yes. Uh, oh, the slime balls, Sopounce, so gross. Sopounce, uh, do some hairballs back at them. And Sopounce shoots hairballs, and Sotaman is able to confront... The two sisters also, I didn't want to tell you this till right now, Sir Tom, witches. Oh, witches. Oh, no. Ah, but our heroes are brave adventurers, ready to face anything on the journey of self-discovery. Oh, yes, yes, uh, because it's all fiction. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, hello, witches. My name is Sir Tom and uh, King Tom, and you may... Uh, kiss my ring. I will kiss no ring. Oh, will you not? Well, this is my cat, Sapounce. Can he lick? Oh, he already is licking your fingers. Sapounce is nice. Uh, well, please be nice to my cat. I will be nice to your cat, for we've heard of you in our prophecy. I am Myers, and this is my sister Briggs. Pleased to meet you, Sir Tommen, but we will kiss no rings, for we have a test to see if you are worthy of the prophecy. Oh, yeah, well, I am worthy. Why do we need it? I don't like tests. I, what is with all these tests? Well, you could see if you could get to the bottom of our bubbling cauldron, and if you do, the key... To the next part of your journey of self-discovery, I will be there. Why, why doesn't your sister speak to me? My sister does not speak to you. Well, she's also my... Anyway, it's not important. What's important is the bubbling spell of talking bubbles. You must answer all the bubbles' questions, and then you will cool the bubbles down so you can reach in and take the key. Well, why don't you just turn off the fire and I could do it without answering any of these questions? The, the, fire, the water is warm from magic and the spell must be broken. And deep within me, Tommen, is a beautiful young, beautiful, someone who will adore you so if you could just show the bravery and break the spell. I will be... Long and flaxen in my hair and things. And my sister is a name of Lena Kelpa. Okay. Oh, so you will, uh, oh, like you, we could kiss and things. Maybe if you break this spell and answer all the questions. 
for self discovery has many attractions with you, but you just need to get the key and answer the questions. So do you agree? Are you the one the prophecy sent? If you can get the key, it will prove you are the most handsome king with the bravest. Is this the bravest and most best friend cat to just one boy? The best friend, but only for the one boy who is the handsomest and wisest king. Oh, yes, this is, this is my prophecy. Okay, bring me to this cauldron. Okay, Tom, and answer the questions as a bubble. My Lord, Tom, and I am the cauldron bubble. Do you have trouble de- introducing yourself to new people, Bubble Bubble? Ah, uh, yes. Do you strongly agree? Say strongly. I strongly. Uh, do you get so lost in your thoughts you forget your surroundings? Strongly. Oh, yes, I am strong. I will keep saying strongly. Well, if you disagree, say that too, please. Were you once an annoying wizard from another episode, like last episode? Bubble, bubble, I'm a cauldron. Please don't toil in trouble. Answer my questions, please. Do do you respond to tasks right away? I don't like to do tasks, so no. Uh, do you find it easy, bubble, bubble, to stay relaxed when even when times are tough? No. Strongly no. Do you like to initiate conversations or do not? Strongly do not like to intonate. No. Do you rarely do anything out of curiosity? Oh, no, I do that all the time. I'm very curious. It always gets me in trouble, but I still have... Mother says, you'll never learn. You'll never learn. So strongly I do. So do not. Okay. I do you feel superior to other people, bubble, bubble. I, I am superior. It, it is not a feeling. It is a fact. I'm, I'm superior to all people. I mean, Mother says, n- not really, but, uh, I th- but I think I am anyway. I, I disagree with Mother even with, with the way she's uh, intoning. The Padman taught me that word. Is being organized more important to you or being, than being adaptable? I don't know, but I, could you be more of a bubble voice? You sound too much like me. It's freaking me out. Bubble, bubble, yes, Tom, and much better. Next time, do it at the start of the show, though, please. Are you usually highly energetic and motivated? Oh, that's even better with the way you're talking weird. Uh, no, uh, disagree. Uh, winning debate, winning an argument is, uh, matters less to you than making sure no one gets upset. Hmm. Uh, well, everyone gets upset at whatever I do, so I'd rather be right. Uh, no, but I don't want to upset mother. Oh, yes, I, uh, I don't want to upset anyone. That, that just means they'll, they'll be displeased with me. Do you often feel that you have to justify yourself to other people? Well, that would be a losing game because I, so I don't know the answer because it says no, they won't ever. You know what I mean? This is a little bit. Uh, oh, this is a challenge for I'm being drained. Uh, but I will proceed, right, Sir Pounce?
That's mine. You knew it. Yes, I can do it. You're right. Oh, that is what the, the bravery of friendship. Bring me your cauldron now. I do feel I have to justify myself. Is your home tidy? Oh, no, not at all tidy. It, it, it should be until I get there. When I get there, it should be tidy. I expect it so. But then when I'm there, no, I, I tend to be... My mother says, you are so sloppy. Do you mind? You don't mind being the center of attention? I do. I, I do. Uh, both. I don't know. Uh, do you consider yourself practical or creative? Uh, mother once said I was practically a fool. Uh, but I'd say cre- I like to create adventures for me and surpounce. Uh, obviously, one day I will be a bard. I think I've decided that for myself. Uh, people can really rarely upset you. Oh, no, disagree. You, you're starting to upset me too, Cauldron. Your travel plans are rare, usually thought out. Uh, no. Uh, usually someone's job to do that, but I don't. It is often difficult for you to relate to other people's feelings. I don't, I don't have any need to relate to the feelings, for they matter not. I am the king. Your mood could change very quickly. Yes, I like that, how you said that. Yes, yes, very quickly indeed. Be careful of your tone. In discussion, truth should be more important than people's feelings. Hmm, uh, no, the feelings, there is no truth. People get upset with me no matter what. You rarely worry about how your actions affect other people. I have no need to. I, you know, they, the right. You're correct because I don't. Uh, yes, your work style is closer to random uh, ups and downs than uh, methodical and organized. Is that Batman asked me last week if he's moody? Yes, I'm moody. Okay, just can you simplify these, please? Uh, oh no, Savant is licking me, saying. Get to the bottom of the bubbling cauldron. You're often envious of others. Ah, uh, yes. An interesting way to escape is more fun than being around people. Yes. Being able to have a plan is the best way to... No, no, no plans. I make no plans other than uh, to get my way. Uh, do your emotions control you more than you control them? Ah, uh, yes, probably. I'm, tire- I'm tiring of this self-discovery. Do you enjoy games of dress-up? Oh, yes, there was a game one time Podman and I played. But he said never speak of it because he said it wasn't weird, but if you tell people, they'll think it's weird. He pretended we were, ha- he called it the cat con. It was so fun. I wish I, w- I would, you know, he said that oh, Martin would find out if I went to any cons. But we had a, a cat con in my room. So Pounce, uh, the Podman and I, we, me, the Podman and I dressed as cats. And it, it, we, we, you know, we did shows just for Sir Pounce. I think it was Sir Pounce's birthday. And he called it a cat con. We dressed as cats. Podman was the servant cat. I was the royal cat. Uh, Sir Pounce was king. Just, and I told you, right, Sir Pounce, just for that day. I said, right, correct. 
And that was fun, but Podman says his world has cons all the time, and they call it a crow's blaze or something. You dress up. That was one of the best days of my life. Uh, oh, yes, this cauldron is so tricky with the dreams. Anyway, let's let's speed it up, cauldron, because I'm going in. Your spell is being broken by royal decree, Podman. Oh, you have almost broken the spell of our cauldron. Bubble, bubble. My, my, my spell is weakening because of your logical way of dealing with anything, these things. Your mind is so... You have shown you, the things you have, introversion. You're intuitive. Okay, okay, good. You're thinking. You're also prospecting and turbulent. Okay, uh, thank you. Introverted, intuitive thinking, prospecting, turbulent. So you say I'm illogical, I say. Just give me the key, okay? Uh, thank you, witches. I've defeated your Briggs, you, you and my, you and Briars and Briggs, and uh, I've, I've beaten you again. I've taken the key to open the doors. But don't forget, Sir Tommen, those that information the cauldron gave you could benefit you in your next adventures. The fact you're introverted means sometimes you need to be alone with your cat to, to gather energy. Of course, my cat is my best friend. Correct. You, you are correct. Uh, yes. Uh, oh, well, you, you are. You, uh, I think your face is not changing, but my feelings about you uh, are changing. You are so nice in understanding of me. And you draw your energy from your in, in, intuition because you act on you. I don't know if this is the most... I, I'm wondering of the validity of the test now. But I don't, it had to give you an answer. Uh, because this next one also says you're thinking, young man. I think I'm melting. Oh, dear, the test has started to melt me. Oh, dear, that's not... You're not really melting, though. Are you just trying to get away from me? You're not good at judging things. I know you're not going to like that. Oh, no, I'm the king. I judge all. Uh, my judging is always correct. And you don't seem to be very assertive. You tend to w w waffle. Okay, uh, that's enough from you. Uh, wait, wait. Anyway, so Pounce and I will be gone with this key. And once again, Podman, this was not an acceptable adventure. But you, are you sure? Not, sure, are you sure? That was a good one. You, you want to remember you climbed? Oh, the mountain part. I liked that part. But then there was all this. I don't like that. Okay, Podman. I don't like how this makes me feel. Well, the journey to self-discover is not easy, Tom. And and but I can see the growth already. I heard that sometimes the way you use your voice was stronger. And did you write that? Have you practiced the? Uh, no, I did not. I should have there. Uh, done the, uh, where I pretend I'm Sir Pounce observing, detached observer. I remember that, you know. So, see, I think you're, I think this journey to self-discovery will benefit you in ways beyond your imagination. Okay, well, anyway, just try to get something better for next week, please. 
Otherwise, I'm going to tell Mother and R. Arman about you. Oh, please, Tom, and don't do that. I mean, well, yeah, don't tell Mother directly about You're probably better, yeah, just don't tell Mother, because that'll be... Yeah, plus that blue face guy, I don't know about him either, so... Well, okay, just work on it, thank you. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining another day at Cape Bounce Radio. Uh, soon, don't worry, the uh, creative of this program will be on a pike and be replaced. Maybe a blue-faced man could make up better adventures. But this has been Cape Bounce Radio, your radio of the afternoon of adventure and friendship. The adventures of Sir Pounce and Sir Tom and a good day. Okay, Padman, get, get to work. Goodbye. Okay, thanks, Simon. Take take care, okay? Okay, please. Oh, why do you say that like that, bad man? Well, just, just, you know, I hope you remember to stay intuitive and introverted and that other stuff. Okay, okay, but I don't, you're looking at me. Here, can, let me just give you a hug. Well, servants don't hug royals. Okay, can I just kiss your ring then? Oh, yes, yes, about time. It's been... Okay, goodbye, Podman. All right, bye, Tommen. Uh, Crone, Sweet Sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Sparky, Jester, uh, Hound Dog. It's me. Uh, it's your buddy Scoots, uh, praying in. I'm not sure how we left things last week, Gads, just because I was... Uh, I, I, I was so, you know, I just wanted to introduce you to all the new listeners and, you know, see, you know, the old gods and the new, how, how, how you know, the benefits. Not looking for, you know, I know you, you, you would rather, I, I mean, I get those notes from you say, hey, just forget about us. So I know, you know, where our adventures, you say, well, you don't, we don't, you don't need me recruiting people. So that's not what I'm doing. I'm just sharing you know, I guess I am, but I don't know if anybody will follow my lead anyway, so don't worry about that. Crone, sweet, sweet Crone, Miller Smith, Barky Chester, Hound Dog. I apologize right up front, Hound Dog, God, because I'll probably, you know, you're new, so uh probably take me a while. But yeah, guys, I was thinking, uh, you know, like I said last week, I could use your help, uh, in in less mysterious way, I guess this is like the third or fourth season. I've been saying, "Hey, how about some non-mysterious help?" You know, and I thought we had that down with that. But I say, just this season, you know, I said, "Well, could you keep me calm?" So you know, not week one down, um, results are in, and so I said, "Well, geez, what else could I talk to one guy a week and say, hey, let's uh, let's do something, you know, with these guys. I mean, because last year we had that mission. We were going to make the app Midler, you know, the app to, to complain, you know, the app for complaining. And so since that didn't work at all uh, because you guys didn't do any work, I said, okay, apps are out this season. But I could use some help at the podcast, but, mo- you know, I guess mostly you say, well, geez, let's, you know, I know. so it's like, oh, you want me to help those who help. Isn't that the old prayer, prayer the catch 22 of the prayers? Those who help themselves by doing what they pray for are the ones whose prayers get answered, a.k.a. Uh, do it yourself, uh, 
because and then I know I know I you know then I have all this that well if you don't do it yourself oh boy. So Crone, I guess let's start with you this week. Crone, sweet sweet Crone. I know last I know you're probably not talking to me. Give me the old silent treatment, Crone. Maiden, believe it or not, the maid. Not only is the maiden give me the silent treatment, but every, I think every maiden is kind of giving me the silent treatment, Crone. So you got your way on that one. Uh, old ladies, they irritate though. They don't have the silent treatment, you know. Believe me. Everywhere I go, there's a complaint box, and it's full. Wherever you know, they say, "Geez, I just shop here. Why is there a complaint box for me here?" And they say, well, "We got to put them somewhere." Hey, okay, Crone, let me ask you this. This is we probably talked about this before, but you know, I like to sing in grocery stores, or whistle, or hum, or do not hum, but you know, make that. It's like humming. Singing without actually pronouncing the lyrics, you know. Thinking that's a good that's a good way for me to test, and I think it is some sort of yeah, like passive aggressive testing, or it's called having fun. And I know that I, I can pick out people I'm never going to get along with to how they respond to my singing in grocery stores. And then that makes me sing louder, of course. If you so, when people are giving me that look, like. Why are you singing in a grocery store? You know, that's when I turn it up a notch. Like these, you know, these are a few of my favorite things. And I'll say, you know, cookie butter and almond butter. Why do you cost so much? And then I'll, you know, I'll sing about those. And then, you know, I'll just stay there. And then I'll say, and then, okay, Caron, you got me. I'm I'm a jerk. And then I'll say, well, let me just follow this. A disliker of song through the grocery store singing, you know, singing down the aisles. Do I need B vitamins? Do I need C vitamins? Will D vitamins help me feel less bad? I'll simply remember my doctor told me, you know, that I'm too obsessive to take vitamins at all. Uh, so anyway, Crone, that, that's a test, and I'm being tested. I, I gotta tell you, like I got, a, I got a case of Crone. Is that like, did you shoot me up with some Coronavision? Like maybe this is a te- this is our test, Crone. I just gotta trust you, right? You're the one. You're the one that sees. I guess I'm trying to. I guess this is one of those relational things. This is good. We're talking again. I'm sorry, Crone. Uh, sweet, sweet Crone, because I guess, yeah, this is where I'm I'm taking it out on you because I'm so like you. So I'm really mad at myself, but I'm really... T- and this is the good thing about having all these great gods, you know. You probably have the hardest job. I mean, I think you believe that your job's even harder than it is. No offense. But I guess if it gives you bunions, then it's a hard job. But... um. What was my point? My point is that I, I'm not giving you a fair shake because I guess I am. And they say, well, you're no crone, Scoots. I mean, you have crone qualities in chronovision and the scent of a crone. And, the, you know, the, I have, the, you know, a lot of people, especially, I think, soccer goons. That's the number one group of people that dislike this podcast that write me nasty emails and reviews. 
probably because they're just like me too. And they say, you know, I dislike his voice so much. Probably because it's like, you know, so I guess I am always trying to be like a crone, look far into the future, look far into the past, and but I don't have crone vision. You have, you're the crone. I'm no crone. And I can hear you saying, oh boy, oh, crone, have you met my Nana? Did my did I have my Nana last year? And some listeners are like, where's Scooter's Nana? We need her back on the show. And I think, no, like, I think you and my Nana, I guess maybe that she's like, you're the archetypal, you're the archetype, and Nana's like, uh, have you met my Nana, Crone? Hey, Crone, this is my Nana. Nana, this is the Crone. She, uh, this is my confusion, Nana. She's one of the goddesses I pray to, gods and goddesses. She's a new god, which might be confusing, but, but, uh, this is my Nana. Oh, I don't know. Oh, I crone that didn't work. I thought Nana would take over and, you know, use up four or five minutes of time, but she's not. Nana, you don't want to talk to the crone? No. I pray to, you know, I don't pray to a crone, and I don't appreciate this. But Nana, don't, wouldn't you like it if I had a belief system that worked for me? It doesn't seem to be working for you. Okay, you got that point. Sorry, Crone. Nana one, Crone zero. Crone, uh, actually, Crone, leave my, don't don't mess with Nana. She's got enough problems. Nana, do you have enough problems? Well, I have one big problem on my hands right now. Look, I'm looking at him. Well, thanks, Nana. That's why I'm talking to the Crone. She's not, she's not all powerful. She shares her God stuff. And there's Nana. How about this? How about I tell you just what if can you What if I try to get you to empathize with the crone? Hold hold on, Nana. Hey, crone, would you do do me solid if I get some? I won't even get Nana to praise you. I'll just get her to empathize with you. Because yeah, I'll I'll have to trust in you, crone, to see what's coming. And you know that you're keeping track of all the screw ups. Because I guess, yeah, yeah, why can't I just have faith that you're keeping count? And when the great shaming day comes, you know, I'll go in front of you. Oh, boy. Yeah, I don't know if I could handle that. I guess, yeah, it'd be easier to handle, have it. Will only be one day, Crone? Will it be on the last day or the day before the last day? If it's for eternity, I'll just deal with the shame myself while I'm here. But if it's only like a day or two... Uh, I guess that's what I got to believe that because I, I barely, you know, I didn't do enough research about this belief system before I made it up anyway. And actually, you know, why can't I make that up? So, so Crone, when I pass on to your realm, you know, I'll deal with my shame on the great shaming day. And I guess you won't be able to shame me for any future stuff then. So, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll cash in my shame chits the, that day. And Crone just helped me trust that you're seeing all that. And I don't need to keep track of that. That's actually a relief. I can see why these Westerosi, they got a good they got a good thing going. I don't got to worry about it. You're on it, right? And then you, I have my, your earthly servant, Nana, here. I don't, I don't serve anyone. I told you, do your own dishes. No, Nana, the Crone. Oh, oh, you're still going on about that? Well, Nana, let me just finish. Thank you, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone. 
Miller Smith, Barky Jester, uh, Hound Dog, God. Oh, th- are you talking to Elvis? C- could you be? Not this week, uh, Nana. Oh, I did not know you prayed to Elvis. That's very nice because he is the king. Yeah, Nana loves Elvis. Well, Nana, you know, at some point, we're talking about the crone now, and I don't want to, you know, I've already hurt the crone enough, so. Well, I, I, oh, did I tell you about the time I saw Elvis in Las Vegas? Was this, which Elvis was this? Uh, Las Vegas Elvis. You know, like the sweet Elvis or the sad Elvis? Ah, uh, the Elvis that made your Nana's heart go pitta-patta, pitta-patta, shibbada-boom. Nana, okay, can we change the subject, because I'm afraid... Well, I did meet Elvis. Okay, Nana, that's what I'm afraid of. I already have enough problems, like, with the crone. So I can't go any further. Well, Elvis was was such a lovely man. I mean, oh, he was so lovely. Well, Nana, we're kind of talking about the crone here. This is her prayer time. Uh, I don't, I guess I could see the hound playing Elvis. Or probably hanging with Elvis, too. So, yeah, the, the the Elvis has a friend named the Hound who's one of my gods I pray to. Just started praying to the, that god called the Hound God. And we'll, we'll say he's the king. Well, no, that's kind of like god terminology. That's no good, Nana. But I was going to tell you about these sweet gods I pray to, Nana. Poor crone. Would you believe there's, like, up there where she's she's trying to guide around? She's got, a, like, a father and mother, I think, a maiden, a warrior, a shadow, I think. I don't I don't know because it's not my belief system, Anna, but they, and she's the one doing all the work. Everyone else is just making out or, you know, looking in the mirror. Oh, fake yes, she has to do all the work. Yeah, mostly, she, and she's she's getting in charge of seeing everybody's all the stuff they're doing. Well, I guess if I was an optimist, she, she, and I believed in the crone, that would be pretty sweet because the crone probably sees everything you've always done right. She would be like an older cheerleader. Well, that's that's funny because that's when I saw Elvis. It was Halloween, and I was dressed as a cheerleader, and he said to me. Well, I need some cheering up. Could you come up? Okay, no, no, Nana, no, no. This is prayer time. And I can't, can't be, get either one of us smoted by the crone. And I, I also never want to know about you and Elvis in the cheerleading outfit because, well, I said cheerleading outfits are ruined for me, Nana. Oh, well, this one was throwing toe, Scooter. Oh, so the crone, she... Yes, uh, so sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, crone, just help me trust you. I, that's what Elvis said. He said, trust me, my dear. Okay, no, please stop, Nana. Um, uh, uh, crone, sweet, sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky, Jester, hound dog. Thanks, everybody, could you help me trust the crone? Instead of trying to predict the future or judge the past. Just help me trust the crone, and I'll just do my best to, to deal with the present moment, which is trying to erase my brain. Please also erase my brain, and please don't let my name... Well, I, 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 my, 
Am I, am I, am I, am I, is my face red, Scooter? Okay, we gotta go. Prayer out. Thank you, gods. I want to say thanks to this list of cookies. I got these, these are like cookies I'm thankful for. Uh, Tranquil cookies. Carol W. Those are some good cookies too. Nick cookies. Uh, Fern cookies. Caroline cookies. Uh, Daniel cookies. Uh, Wendy F. cookies. Uh, Meg cookies. Betty cookies. I guess these are cookies. Those are the people that wrote the recipes. Oh boy. Oh, how silly of me. A mandolin. Cookies, those look good too. Elizabeth Cookies. Uh, Joan, man, good Joan makes good cookies too. Sue's Cookies are good too. Pete, Pete's got a good cookie recipe here too, as well, I guess, in that too. Uh, Rainus Cookies are good. Uh, John M, uh, his cookies are good. Jonathan, uh, Jonathan M. There's two different ones, John M. and then Jonathan M. cookies. Zoe's cookies are good. Sarah W.'s got some great cookies. Amanda. Some of your nice cookies have. Sharon S. cookies. Taryn cookies. Colin cookies. Emily's got some cookies. Uh, Gustavo's got some rad cookies and a podcast with some Juicy Goosey and Bravo News. Moana cookies. Michael H's cookies are great, too. Fiona's got some lovely cookies as well. Stacy, uh, Leonardo, her good friend Whitney's got great shoes. She makes a wonderful batch of cookies. Blair, our good friend Blair, as uh, cookies are good too. Uh, Julia, she's got cookies down by the schoolyard. They're called. Meg's got the unsilent cookies. Uh, John M's got some nice ones too. Bob's got some nice cookies, UK style. Uh, Derek's got some sweet ones. Same with Terry with an eye. Wake Lake cookies. That's cool. Melissa, she's got some sweet cookies. Diane, those nice cookies too. Paula G's cookies are cool. Amanda's cookies, she's one called the Mary Decker. It's a cookie. Andrea, Mary's got some cookies. Those seem nice too. Uh, Molly M. Uh, Joey's got these cookies, uh, personification cookies. Jen V's got some good ones, too. Michelle's uh, nice cookies. Audrey, our good friend Audrey's got great cookies. Fred, Freddy, everybody Freddy's got cookies. His cookies are called the, 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 oh, Simply Cookies by Freddy. Uh, Kimberly's got a reverie cookie. That's nice. Ahab's wife has some cookies. H Chance has cookies. H Chance cookies. Those sound nice too. Alexandra's got some nice cookies. So she calls them spitballs. That's good. Kevin, our good friend, has got cookies. Graham, 
These cookies are made from graham crackers, so it's just a heads up. Paul's got some cookies. Beth has some nice cookies, too. Ellen's got this cookie. It's called a crack up. Crack up cookie. Crack up cookie. Hey, thank you all for those cookie recipes and good night.